Once in royal David City Stood a lowly cattle shed Where a mother laid her baby In a manger for his bed Mary was that mother mild Jesus Christ her little child Hey, this is Timothy Putnam. You're listening to a special Christmas Eve edition of Outside the Walls. We're going to listen to the rest of this song, and we'll get right into it right after this. He came down to earth from heaven, who is God and Lord of all, and his shelter was a stable, and his cradle was a stall. Christmas Eve, the Christmas music's out. Here we go. I'm Timothy Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week we gather right here to explore the foundations of our faith, to look at the implications of our faith on our daily lives, so that together you and I can prepare to live outside the walls. That music, which I absolutely love, that's why we listen to the whole thing today, that music as well as all of our bumper music comes from Andy Gullihorn and Jill Phillips, a married couple out of Nashville, Tennessee. They have been very kind uh, to let us use that. Of course, uh, I've, I have everything that they've ever done because it's just, it's fabulous songwriting. It's uh, very skilled in terms of the musicianship of it. Uh, you can find out more information about them over at jillphillips.com. That's Phillips with two L's or andygullahorn.com. It's spelled just like it sounds, like gull, like the bird, G-U-L-L-A. 
H-O-R-N. It's like the bird is actually a trumpet. It's a gullahorn. So uh, andygullahorn.com, jillphillips.com. They've got great music. That specific one is one of the few that they, uh, they've they got both of their names on, right? They, they both do their solo projects, and, of course, they're both on both of the projects. Uh, but this is the Christmas album. Uh, lots of great stuff there. So do yourself a favor and go over to the website or go to your iTunes store, wherever it is that you get music, uh, and pick up a copy of that, Andy Gullihorn, Jill Phillips' Christmas album. Now, uh, I love Christmas music. And for the most part, during the season of Advent, I completely abstain. Uh, and it's a difficult thing. Uh, but I do. I, I don't even listen to the radio uh, where, you know, because you got those stations that play Christmas music 24-7. We stay away from those up until throughout the season of Advent, up until Christmas Eve. Uh, and then we <laughs> and then we bust it out and we uh, we keep going long after everyone is sick of it uh, all the way through the entirety of the Christmas season, which takes us this year all the way to January 9th to the Feast of the Baptism of the Lord. Uh, so there's still some good time to do Christmas music. Don't take your tree down. We're just getting started, right? This is why, as a family, we don't put up our tree uh, until the second week of Advent, uh, because we, we want to make sure that it lasts. Uh, and then we don't decorate it until the third week of Advent. Normally, the fourth week is pretty quick. This year, we had a full, total, long, seven-day week uh, before we got to Christmas. Tomorrow is Christmas Day, finally. Uh, it's the longest possible Advent ever. So every year around Advent, towards the end of it, you're like, are we there yet? Can't we be at Christmas? Can't we just already uh, make it there? And really, the answer is no. No, you can't. It's not Christmas yet, and this is why. You can't jump straight to Christmas because what the church is asking us to do is to identify with, uh, with the people who lived before the Incarnation. They want us to feel the ache of knowing that things are not right, and that, and knowing that the world uh, is is not operating in the way that it was created to operate, and to feel the tension of that as we wait for Messiah. So yes, you and I, we already have experienced the incarnation. We're going to celebrate that tomorrow, and we're going to celebrate it through January 9th, that Christ has come in the flesh, God with us, Emmanuel, right? The, I mean, we, we get used to that term, but think about that, really. God with us. Uh, and, and in a very uh, amazing way, right? God took on humanity. God who created the world became part of that world. God who created Mary allowed himself to be created within the womb of Mary. Uh, and uh, this is one of the reasons I love Christmas music, because the really good stuff, the really good hymns, the really good poems, they really wrestle with what the mystery of the Incarnation is. How is it that God comes to be with us here? Uh, and so if, if you get really good Christmas music, uh, then it becomes a almost a, a spiritual retreat where you begin to fathom some of these deep mysteries and ponder these things that, that have just captivated humanity through the centuries. You can also get some bad Christmas music that is uh, just trite and and tries to put Christmas in some kind of a a normal level. Tries to to understand it just as as another thing, right? I'm not a fan of Mary. Did you know? 
did Mary, did you know that your baby boy would rule uh, the, our sons and daughters? Yeah, she did, because the angel said, uh, I'll give your, I'll give this child the throne of his father David, and he will rule on it. Uh, his kingdom will have no end. So, I mean, yeah, he knew. And the reason people are like, oh, let up on that song. Don't be so mean about that song. Here's the thing. When we meditate, when we sing, when we listen to these songs that are trite, that, that don't really capture uh, the fullness and the depth of the mystery of Christmas, then, then those are the things that we're pondering in our heart. That's, that's the fullness of the revelation we're going to get from that, as opposed to some of these deeply uh, thoughtful Christmas songs. Think of uh, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, Born to Set Thy People Free, From Our Fears and Sins, Release Us, Let Us Find Our Rest in Thee, Israel's Strength and Consolation, Hope of All the Earth Thou Art, Dear Desire of Every Nation, Joy of Every Longing Heart. These traditional carols, they, uh, they put the story in the context of history but they also put it in the, the grander eschatological scale, the, the, the picture of the wholeness of the cosmos and, and how Christ fits in with the end of the world, basically. Uh, and, and so I, I'm really hesitant with some of these newer, newfangled Christmas carols, right? I like the ones from the 1800s and before because they're just such depth. In fact, one of my favorite poems um, is from John Donne. And it's called uh, La Corona. And it's this cycle of six or seven poems that the first line of, well, the, the last line of the stanza is the first line of the next stanza. And uh, it goes all the way through to where when you finally get to the last stanza of the whole poem, it's the first stanza of the whole poem. And one of these phrases um, is immense, talking about Mary and talking about the incarnation immensity cloistered in thy dear womb, right? This picture of God, the king of the universe, submitting himself not just to being uh, lain in a manger, right? Not just to, to uh, being in poverty and being uh, a, a, a refugee, uh, leaving his own home, uh, escaping the, the, the impending threat of death. Not only is he doing that, but he submitted himself to nine months in the womb. He submitted himself to the indignity of birth. And uh, we have six kids. We've got uh, one on the way. And they, we, we're crazy, so they've all been born at home. And I tell you, birth for a baby, it's, it's an indignant kind of little thing. Uh, it is not a, um, a pristine process. Uh, and so here you've got God, the one who created everything with a breath with a word, uh, being subjected to not being able to speak a word for nearly a year of his life. He himself was the word, but this thought of this, this small, helpless child taking its first breath and being nurtured by his mother Mary, these are the things that I like to think about over the Christmas season. What's your favorite Christmas carol? I want to know. Uh, come on over to facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. Tell me what your favorite one is. Give me, give me grief for the ones I don't like. I'm okay with that. Come on, let's have a conversation. We'll be right back right after this.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. So glad that you're here today on this Christmas Eve. What are your Christmas Eve traditions? We'll talk a little bit about those as we go further into the show. Uh, tomorrow, tomorrow's the day. Uh, how are your kids doing? Are they just absolutely losing their minds yet? Uh, I'm losing my mind right now because I have uh, via Skype one of my favorite guests, our Rome correspondent, uh, seminarian Joe Heschmeyer. He's a seminarian for the Archdiocese of Kansas City, Kansas, uh, and we're glad to have you here. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. Nothing better than Rome in Christmas, I would think. Yeah, I'm actually going to be spending Christmas Day uh, with my cousin in uh, a monastery in southern France, but Rome is not a bad way to spend Christmas either. <laughs> So we're talking about, uh, we're, here we are, the very last, now here's a question for you, you may, I don't actually know the answer. Is Christmas Eve still part of Advent? You know, that's a, that's a great question. I'd have to uh, double check with the liturgist to be sure, but evening prayer one or Vespers, uh, mm -hmm. the night of Christmas Eve, is when you start doing uh, Christmas things. Right. And as you know, there are... Uh, what used to be called midnight masses, they're now sometimes called like mass at night on right. Christmas Eve, and you you celebrate actual Christmas mass. Right. No, I'm Certainly. we do we do midnight mass because one, we have six kids and we're gluttons for punishment, but two, it's just it's like you, you know that you've done something when you go to midnight. It's out of the ordinary. It's not just your ordinary four o'clock vigil mass somewhere because you know it's supposed to be after dark. You're supposed to ring in Christmas, waiting for Christ, like the 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 virgins with their lamps, right? That's it's kind of how we feel. It's we're we're going okay. We're gonna we're gonna be here when when he arrives, and uh, and then we try to sleep in late the next morning. Yeah, it's a it's a beautiful thing. Um, I mean, in some places, you know, we'll do the nighttime mass instead of instead of strictly at midnight, they'll do it earlier, you know, after dark, like eight or ten p.m. Mm -hmm. And that obviously, at that point, you're in Christmas. So I think after uh, after vespers or after evening prayer uh, would be when Christmas actually begins and Advent ends. And a lot of people, uh, actually, that I that I've known have done some of their presents on Christmas Eve as just kind of the way that they and their family do Christmas. Yeah. You know, one of the things I've been really struck by living in a house with guys from all over the country and then some guys from Canada and Australia is how diverse uh, family Christmas traditions are, it, like different parts of the world, but also just different parts of the country and different families just have different, mm -hmm. uh, very different traditions. So now, since we're there, before we get into the deep theological things of God, what, what were your traditions growing up? How did you do Christmas? Um, we would oftentimes do midnight mass and then we would always be ushered off to bed very quickly. And, you know, there'd be, uh, family gifts would already be under the tree, but then, you know, Santa gifts would be, uh, the next morning. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then we, you know, would go around uh, when we were very young, we all, so I've got four sisters and a brother, so we would all get each other gifts. Now I also have 10 nieces and nephews. And so we, we don't get gifts for everyone because it's just too many gifts. Right. Uh, we, we narrow it down to like having one person you get a gift for plus parents. Okay. Um, so, but yeah, it, like the whole family comes together and it's, it's a beautiful experience. Wonderful. So now it's been a couple of years since you've been able to do that with the family being in Rome at the North American college. Uh, are you, and then of course the time is coming where you're going to be in your own parish. Uh, will you be close enough to family to be able to do that kind of thing? It's impossible to know for sure, you know, where I'll be, but I think the way we did Christmas growing up, I'm never going to probably be able to do that again. 
um, mm-hmm. because, you know, it's not like you can get Christmas morning off as a priest. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. There are things to do in the parish, <laughs> like say mass. Yeah. Uh, so, but I think uh, the diocese is small enough that unless I'm very far away, I could probably do something the evening of Christmas day mm-hmm. or uh, at another time. And, and frankly, with uh, four of my sisters being married, that, uh, that will change the dynamic as well. Yeah. So, uh, so what you're saying is, um, make sure that you go to, to mass on Christmas morning as support for your, your priest. <laughs> go, go to, go to Christmas morning with your father. It's, it's important. <laughs> yeah. Christmas morning is a beautiful, I mean, midnight mass is very beautiful. Christmas morning mass is also, they're both, they're both great traditions. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit. We've we've come through Advent. We've come through this um, this realization that we're waiting for something, right? And we have to wait and hope. And in order, we talked last week. In order for there to be hope, you have to have two things. You have to realize that something is missing, and you have to believe that that can be corrected, right? Otherwise, you end up either in complacency or despair. So here we are coming into uh, to Christmas, and it's not just a recollection that, oh, way back when they were waiting for Jesus, uh, because yes, we're remembering that, and we're celebrating the incarnation of Christ tomorrow at Christmas, but we're also remembering that we are still ourselves waiting for Christ. Yeah, absolutely. And the Advent season is actually structured to uh, help draw that to mind. There are two halves to the Advent season. So it's a last things first. The first two weeks of Advent focus on kind of the eschatology or the end of the world. Mm -hmm. And it's the notion that Christ is going to come again and that we need to be preparing for him every day and need to be preparing our hearts for his return so that if he were to arrive tomorrow, it would be a great joy and not uh, a moment of terror for us. Yeah. And then the second half of Advent is the part everyone thinks about. It's, It's the preparation for the first coming of Christ. It's the preparation for Christmas. And so those two, I think it's very beautiful the church draws them together. Um, some of the saints of the church have built upon that structure. So St. Bernard of Clairvaux talks about there being a third coming of Christ, mm-hmm. uh, sacramentally and in our hearts. And so this is sometimes described as Christ in history, mystery, and majesty. Oh, mystery wonderful. is the old, Yeah, it, mystery is the old Greek word for uh, the sacraments, mysterium. And so Christ comes in history at Christmas. He comes in mystery in the Eucharist. And you know all of the sacraments, and then he comes in majesty at the second coming. Let's talk on on that for just a second, because we I, we talk about the incarnation of Christ, um, but I think a lot of times we miss the fact that we have an incarnational faith, not just that God came to be with us, but the sacraments themselves are are incarnational. In that um, one, yes, Christ meets us there, but. Uh, we don't do, you know, there are places that do online church in the Protestant realm, and we don't do that because we are an incarnational. You, as you're studying for the priesthood, when you become a priest, uh, that priest serves in, in a way that in persona Christi is a manifestation of the incarnation of Christ, that there is a a physical uh, interacting point that we can connect to Christ. Through confession, through uh, the the anointing of the sick, through the Eucharist, all of these things are ways that the Church continues that incarnation by by bringing us to Christ in a very real and tangible way. Yeah, I would actually I build on that a little bit. Um, the film of Gods and Men, 
mm-hmm. about the French Benedictines in North Africa has a beautiful line in there in which one of the monks says, we are a continuation of the incarnation of Christ. And he doesn't just mean because some of them are ordained as priests. He means because, as St. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, you are the body of Christ. So if you're a part of the church, you're part of the body of Christ. And I think too often we think of body the way we think of like a body of water, just meaning like a group. But the way that Paul goes on to talk about organs, he means a body like the flesh of Christ. We, in a mysterious way, um, continue the incarnation in the world. So when people see us, they should be able to recognize in us the thing St. Paul described in himself when he said, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Mm-hmm. And that kind of radical continuation, um, making present the presence of Christ in the world is something all of us are called to. But as, as you said, those who are, are ordained are called to it in a special way, to serve in the person of Christ, and uh, particularly in the person of Christ the head, for the case of priests. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's let's go back to that um, th- that we are the body of Christ that uh, that the Spirit of Christ animates us and that of course we we think of animate in in the sense of you know cartoons but animate really from the beginning talks about the soul the spirit right that that thing that is what creates uh, movement and life and and uh, and in humanity's sake reason as well and so. The question to ask yourself this Christmas Eve is we are preparing for a, a busy day, unwrapping presents, uh, is the fact, the, the question, are we doing the things that Christ would do? Not, not to be trite and say, what would Jesus do? But have we ordered our lives in such a way that, that we are living out the mission of Christ? Uh, and this is specifically important, I think, this Christmas holiday season, because the holidays aren't necessarily a happy time for everyone. Uh, the holidays can be very stressful. They can be very uh, depressing. They can cause great uh, grief in people who have experienced loss. And as you come to encounter those people, remember that you are carrying on the incarnation of Christ. Can you be present to those people? Can you be uh, connected to them and to provide them healing and comfort and, and hope in, in this season. Yeah, I think that's a beautiful reminder. And it's a good reminder for those of us who maybe don't go through, you know, the Christmas blues or for whom Christmas really is much more easily a joyful season, not to take that for granted. Um, there's actually, if I could draw kind of an analogy, St. Thomas Aquinas in the Summa talks about how there are inequalities in the Garden of Eden. And I'm really fascinated by this because we have this really egalitarian notion that in the state of perfection, everything would just be equal. But he says, no, it's not. And so you get things like you get animals and you get plants and you get man, and they're not equally dignified. They, they aren't equally powerful. Um, but the strong exist for the sake of the weak in a lot of ways. Oh, what a beautiful meditation. The strong exist for the sake of the weak. It's something pretty much counter to what our society tells us every day. We're going to continue, uh, maybe dig into that a little bit more when we come back. We're talking with Joe Heschmeyer. He's a seminarian for the Archdiocese of Kansas City, Kansas, currently studying at the North American College in Rome. Uh, why don't you come over to my social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter, the handles at outside the walls uh, and tell me what you think. We'll be right back right after this.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. So glad to have you here on this Christmas Eve. 2016 is almost over, uh, and everyone breathed a sigh of relief and experienced great gratitude to give to Almighty God that He has carried us through it, and we are still here. Uh, We're talking today with Joe Heschmeyer. He's a seminarian for the Archdiocese of Kansas City, Kansas, currently studying at the North American College in Rome. Uh, I like to call him my Rome correspondent. Uh, He blogs over at shamelesspopery.com and has just some wonderful, thorough apologetics. If you, this is the time of the year where you're meeting with family who some of them have left the church. Maybe you're a convert and your family was never in the church. This is when all of those little sarcastic barbs come out, and they bring up these these questions of, oh, yeah, well, you guys worship Mary. Uh, well, if you're having problems with that and you need, you know, not just the quick answer, but you need the thorough answer, uh, let me tell you, you need to go over to shamelesspopery.com. It's all categorized out. You can do a search for his specific your, that specific barb that got cast at you. And uh, find just a wonderfully thorough uh, and and sufficient answer for each of these things. Uh, Joe, uh, I, I love your blog. I've read it for for years and years. Uh, and thank you so much for for being on the show. Honestly, my pleasure. I, I really appreciate being on the show. So you know, you uh, when you started this blog, you were not a seminarian. You weren't. You had no idea that you would ever be a seminarian. So it's, it's true. I was a law student at the time. So it's a, it's the blog's fault. <laughs> the blog actually played a role in it, to be really? honest with you. Um, yeah, I was blogging regularly, and people I didn't know started to email me to ask if I wasn't discerning the priesthood. <laughs> and I honestly had just never – it had never crossed my mind uh, to discern. I didn't grow up with that deep like encounter with some parish priests that a lot of people have. Mm-hmm. And as I got more involved in the faith – I tended to be in dating relationships. And so it wasn't, there weren't these long periods of time where I was both devoutly Catholic and single. And so just that discernment hadn't happened. Yeah. So let's talk. Uh, right before the break, you you mentioned uh, St. Thomas Aquinas and talking about the different orders of, of soul, of animation. And you said this line just as we were going to the break and we couldn't break into it uh, further. Uh, you said the strong exists for the sake of the weak. So what does that what does that mean? What are the implications of that? Yeah, there are a lot of implications of that. Um, I, I can think of three things offhand. The first is in Luke 22 at the Last Supper. Jesus is talking to the apostles, and he contrasts the way leadership looks in the Gentile world, mm-hmm. what leadership is called to be like in the church. And he tells them basically, don't lord your authority over people, but that this ex- authority is expressed through service. And right after that, he tells Peter to strengthen his brothers. So it's actually, this is one of my favorite passages in talking about the papacy, because it shows a very different idea of the papacy than a lot of people have, where many people assume, you know, the authority of the church is something like what the Gentiles have. It's someone who's on a power trip throwing their weight around. But really, the most beautiful of the papal titles, and uh, Pope Francis has said this himself, it's servant of the servants of God. And it's this notion that you should be washing the feet of your brothers and you should be enabling them to help other people. And it's this power through service of the strong helping and strengthening the weak. Um, it's the same image you get really in, in 1 Corinthians 12 when St. Paul is talking about the body of Christ, that the weaker body parts are protected by the stronger ones. And it's also got uh, as sort of an interesting corollary 
when Aquinas is talking about the way angels communicate the glory of God, he's saying some of them are more receptive and they're greater by nature, uh, like the cherubim and seraphim are at the higher realms of the realms of angels, but that they communicate this to the lower angels who wouldn't be able to contemplate these things on their own. But in some mysterious way, they help draw each other closer to God. And, and it's a very beautiful image of, you know, it, it, this same principle that you're not given five talents for your own glorification. You're giving it for the glorification of God, which will also be the glorification of your brother. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's, there's not just, not just this, uh, this existential way where we, we call the mind, the mysteries, although there certainly is that, uh, but this is also how we begin to be involved in the spiritual and the corporal acts of mercy. To, to say, hey, I've been given these, these gifts, I've been given th- these resources, how can I advance the kingdom of God? How can I, as we talked about earlier, how can I continue the incarnation of Christ uh, through these things I've been given? Yeah, and this is, you know, it's a difference between the virtues and the charismatic gifts. So virtues like faith, hope, and love are given firstly for your own sanctification to make you a saint, mm-hmm. and secondarily for those around you. But the charismatic gifts, if you've got some special gift from the Holy Spirit, uh, and that can take a lot of forms. You know, we normally think of the really kind of big ones like tongues or prophecy, but all sorts of gifts. Um, there's not a limit to the number of gifts of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Those gifts are given primarily for the upbuilding of the church and secondarily for your own sanctification. So if you've got this great gift and you're not sharing it, you're doing an actual injustice to those around you because it'd be like if, you're, if your kidney decided it was going to stop working for anyone other than itself, it's doing an injustice to the body. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about this in, as, we, as we've come, this is the time of gifts. It's the, you know, we're, we're thinking about gifts in the, in the tangible and materialistic sense. It's Christmas. We're, we're unwrapping things for one another. We're thinking about, okay, what does this family need or what can I do to make them laugh or to give them joy or uh, et cetera. Uh, and we're thinking about um, Jesus coming, his incarnation. That for, you know, even, even uh, Protestants who are against statues, they, they have the little crash, all the, the nativity scene up in their home. It's the one time of the year where they're okay with statues of saints and angels. Uh, <laughs> which, which, by the way, we got from St. Francis of Assisi. If you didn't know that, you have a nativity in your house because of St. Francis. Uh, so here we're thinking about the incarnation of Christ. We're thinking about giving gifts. Let's move that out of the realm of the physical into the realm of, of the spiritual. What do you have that you can give away? Is it, is it encouragement? Is it... Uh, is it financial resource? Is it um, just taking care of somebody's kids for a day? Uh, giving, giving somebody a date night, giving someone who, who has a need, finding that need and meeting that need. This is how the incarnation goes beyond uh, Christmas Day. It goes beyond the 12 days of Christmas and, and really takes us into a lifestyle. Now, we say we're Easter people. But we're all, because we're people of the resurrection. But I think we're also Christmas people. We're people of the incarnation. Yeah, that's absolutely true. You know, there's a great part at the beginning of the book Catholicism by uh, Bishop Robert Barron, where he talks about you know the the church fathers say that God became man so that man can become God, 
And this notion that we will share in the divine nature is something we hear repeatedly in the New Testament. It's a shocking kind of provocative message. But that is the message of Christmas, that when Christ takes on our humanity and humbles himself to share in it without losing any of his divinity, it reveals something of the dignity of humanity. Because it's easy to look around at all of the rotten things we do and just say, well, human nature is just terrible. But that's not true. Because if human nature were, were just terrible of itself, God himself couldn't have taken it on without becoming terrible. So the fact that he can take on humanity in such a way that he takes, takes on everything but sin, mm-hmm. and it's, it's beautiful and it's glorious, reveals something uh, about the gift of humanity itself. And I think it's a good place to start, you know, in terms of being a church of the incarnation, taking that very seriously, having a sacramental life but also having a real respect for the sanctity of human life, the dignity and worth of every human individual, all of that's present at Bethlehem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, certainly. I mean, you have everyone from uh, the, the greatest king to the lowest shepherd who are coming a, and presenting themselves to Christ in his most humble state, right, as a, as a, as a newborn baby. There's that great scene with the gifts of the Magi where they give him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And two of those three gifts had been prophesied in the Old Testament. Gold, which was the traditional gift that you gave to a king. Frankincense, which is what you would offer um, an incense to God. Mm-hmm. So it recognizes him as both king and as God. But then the third gift is a really shocking one. Mm-hmm. It's myrrh. It's an embalming spice. It's what you give to someone who will die. Yeah. And it would be, I have to think it would be an inappropriate gift to give to a baby <laughs> under... Any kid, you know, it would be like buying a burial plot for someone's kid for his birthday. It's just kind of a shockingly uh, tasteless gift on on face. But it reveals the kind of profound nature of the incarnation. Uh, Another thing the church fathers talk about is that Christ takes on mortality so that we can take on immortality. Mm -hmm. That he can't, as God, die. It's so to speak, a restriction on his divine nature, although it's not truly a restriction. Right. By taking on humanity, he can die for our sins. He can taste death, and he can therefore overcome death, and death itself will die. Mm-hmm. Mother Miriam of the Lamb of God is a friend of ours, and she says this this wonderful thing, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to bring it up because you said that quote from Athanasius, that God became man that we might become God. And this was what the devil promised to Adam and Eve. They said, well, God doesn't want you to do that because if you eat that, you'll be like God. And so Mother Miriam says the true sin of Adam and Eve was that they tried to be like God without God. Because that's the whole thing that God is doing in the Incarnation, is creating the way for us to be sharers in that divine nature. Absolutely. You know, it's the difference between magic and miracles, that magic tries to harness these spiritual forces or the powers of the occult in a way that circumvents the sovereignty and authority of God, whereas miracles humbly recognize that God is in the driver's seat and, and they seek his, his power. Well, Christmas is that most miraculous time of year, not magical, but miraculous. Uh, I hope you get your Christmas miracle. We've been talking today with Joe Heschmeyer. He's a seminarian for the Archdiocese of Kansas City, Kansas, currently studying at the North American College in Rome. He blogs over at shamelesspopery.com. Go take a look at it. Great, great website. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with Outside the Walls.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. Thanks for being here this Christmas Eve. Had a great conversation. Always, I always enjoy having Joe Heschmeyer here. Uh, he is the blogger behind shamelesspopery.com, P-O-P-E-R-Y. It's Christmas. You're going to end up with, with relatives that have pointed questions. This is the place to go. He was a litigation attorney in Washington, D.C. before he entered the seminary, where he's now currently studying for the Archdiocese of Kansas City, Kansas, studying at the North American College in Rome. And it's always a pleasure to have him around. Well, here we are. It's Christmas Eve. It's not too late to get that last-minute gift for someone you love. Why don't you give them the benefit of being a friend of the show? Uh, they get, by doing that, extra content from this show. We have some uh, special giveaways that we do. We do some uh, Facebook Live events and the like, and uh, it's really easy. It's $10 a month to become a part of this community and at $10 a month, you get all that extra content. You become eligible for all the giveaways. And uh, it's tax deductible. If you go through our co-producers over at St. Michael Catholic Radio, uh, they will take that donation uh, and give you a tax receipt for it. So to become a friend of the show, you just go right over to OutsideTheWalls.com, click Friend of the Show, follow through that, that top blog post there, uh, click on the information there at the bottom, and uh, voila, you get a tax break. Uh, your friend gets to become my friend, and all is right with the world. Okay, I have to admit, it's time for our readings, and I am super stoked because I've been waiting. It's like unwrapping a present, right? We're finally, we're finally to the, the readings, right? Here we are, Christmas Eve, and today's gospel. Oh, Today's gospel is the Canticle of Zechariah. Now, if you are one of those people who reads the Liturgy of the Hours, who prays the Liturgy of the Hours, this is something that you pray every single day. And I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to do the chant. I'm not, gonna, <laughs> not, not here. Uh, but we are going to read it, and because I just I love this prophecy that comes from Zechariah, uh, and he prophesies. Uh, right after the announcement of John, right? John the Baptist is given his name, and everyone's amazed that, uh, that he would write that. You know, he, he couldn't speak. Remember, he lost the ability to speak uh, because he doubted God. And his mother, Elizabeth, said that uh, his name is John, and nobody believed him. They went to the father. Well, the John is not a family name. And Zechariah wrote out on a tablet, he said, his name is John. And uh, at that point in time, his mouth was opened, and he said this, Zechariah, his father, filled with the Holy Spirit. By the way, this comes from the Gospel of Luke. Uh, filled with the Holy Spirit, prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has come to his people and set them free. He has raised up for us a mighty Savior, born of the house of his servant David. Through his prophets, he promised of old that he would save us from our enemies, from the hands of all who hate us. He promised to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. This was the oath he swore to our father Abraham to set us free from the hand of our enemies, free to worship without fear, holy and righteous in his sight all the days of our lives. You, my child shall be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give his people knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. In the tender compassion of our God, the dawn from on high shall break upon us, to shine on those who dwell in darkness and the shadow of death, 
and to guide our feet into the way of peace. That reading comes from the Gospel of Luke, and I, I can't read that without thinking of this father who is, uh, if he's like me, he likes to talk, right? He's not been able to speak for over nine months. He has been prevented by the Holy Spirit from uttering a single thing, and he is now, his, his, his tongue is loosened, he's able to speak, and the first thing out of his mouth is not, God, what did you do that for? Why did you keep me? He's been meditating for nine months on what the promise of God was. Because remember, Elizabeth was barren. She couldn't have children. And and all of a sudden, even though she was well beyond childbearing years, God gave them a child. He promised it, and then he followed through. And here, you know, we talked a couple of weeks ago with, uh, with Katie Seba about sometimes the best way to get out of despair is not to look forward and try to figure out what's going to happen, but to look backwards at the promises. And so here he is, unable to verbally process, and if he's like me, that's just murder. Uh, and yet he's watching the faithfulness of God. He's watching his wife uh, carry this child and deliver this child and this healthy baby boy that he thought he would never have. And I can't read this just as, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. I just see so much emotion uh, in, in Zechariah as this father, filled with the Holy Spirit, just absolutely exuberant about his son and realizing that he's in the middle of something big. God is fulfilling his promises to set them free. And maybe he missed it. Maybe he didn't catch it. I know that we see that the people of Israel didn't catch that Christ was coming to be a different kind of Messiah, not the Messiah that would free them from Rome. But here, Zechariah mentions it. He prophesies it, that that. Uh, John the Baptist is going before the Lord to prepare his way to give his people knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. So he lays out what kind of salvation this is even going to be. So as you as you go through, uh, open up your Bible. It's Luke 1, uh, 67 through 79, and go and read that in light, not of what happened at the Incarnation, but in light of the world that we're in right now, uh, the frustrations that you have realizing that all is not right with the world, because tomorrow is the incarnation, and in the incarnation, things begin to be set right. Through his prophets, he promised of old that he would save us from our enemies, from the hands of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember. Go ahead, go read that in light of everything that you know about the year 2016, which mercifully is coming to an end. (laughs) So I do want to, we're going to move forward because uh, the reading from church history today is glorious. Uh, It comes from St. Augustine, and here on this last day uh, of of Advent, right, Uh, as soon as the sun goes down, it's Christmas. We are in the vigil. Once that hits, we get a brand new season. But I want you to hear the last words that the church gives us in the season of Advent Uh, preparing us for Christmas. Awake, mankind. For your sake, God has become man. Awake, you who sleep, rise up from the dead, and Christ will enlighten you. I tell you again, for your sake, God became man. You would have suffered eternal death had he not been born in time. Never would you have been freed from sinful flesh had he not taken on himself the likeness of sinful flesh. You would have suffered everlasting unhappiness had it not been for this mercy. 
you would never have returned to life had he not shared your death. You would have been lost if he had not hastened to your aid. You would have perished had he not come. Let us then joyfully celebrate the coming of our salvation and redemption. Let us celebrate the festive day on which he who is the great and eternal day came from the great and endless day of eternity into our short day of time. He has become our justice, our sanctification, our redemption, so that as it is written, let him who glories glory in the Lord. Truth, then, has arisen from the earth. Christ, who said, I am the truth, was born of a virgin. And justice looked down from heaven, because believing in this newborn child, man is justified, not by himself, but by God. Truth has arisen from the earth because the word was made flesh and justice looked down from heaven because every good and perfect gift is from above. Truth has arisen from the earth, flesh from Mary, and justice looked down from heaven for man can receive nothing unless it is given from heaven. Justified by faith, let us be at peace with God for justice and peace have embraced one another through our Lord Jesus Christ for truth has arisen from the earth, through whom we have access to that grace in which we stand, and our boast is in our hope of God's glory. He does not say, of our glory, but of God's glory. For justice has not proceeded from us, but has looked down from heaven. Therefore, he who glories, let him not glory in himself, but in the Lord." For this reason, when our Lord was born of the Virgin, the message of the angelic voices was glory to God in the highest and peace to his people on earth. For how could there be peace on earth unless truth has arisen from the earth, that is, unless Christ were born of the flesh? And he is our peace who made the two into one, that we might be men of goodwill, sweetly linked by the bond of unity. Let us then rejoice in this grace so that our glorying may bear witness to our good conscience by which we glory, not in ourselves, but in the Lord. That is why Scripture says, He is my glory, the one who lifts up my head. For what greater grace could God have made to dawn on us than to make His only Son become the Son of Man, so that a Son of Man might in turn become the Son of God? If this were merited, ask for its reason, for its justification, and see whether you will find any other answer but sheer grace. That reading comes from uh, St. Augustine, and it's just a, a beautiful homily that we realize here in the Christmas season uh, that God is not Santa Claus, determining whether we've been naughty or nice, looking at our list. Rather, He is the God who became man, God with us, took on our life so that we could become sharers in his divine life. What hope there is in that? All you have to do is approach him. That's it. He's waiting there for you to bestow his grace on you. That's all the time we have today. Outside the Walls is a co-production of St. Michael Radio and Breadbox Media, heard around the world on terrestrial radio, live streaming and podcast. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.